Paradise in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 4, Episode 3, starring Frank Zappa. Originally aired on October 21st, 1978. Welcome to SN Hell. My name is Keith. With me, as always, my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, Keith. So tonight is just Matt and I, one of our third chairs. I believe it's going to be Kevin. will be joining us for a little tack on at the end just to get a third opinion on this one. It's Frank Zappa. You are a passionate fan. It's true. I like him. Uh, this is the first year, you know, Spotify's Wrapped just came out. And this is the, uh, for the past two years, Frank Zappa was my number one. This year was number four. So a oh. little bit of a slip, slip in the rankings there this year. By uh, the time this episode rolls around, he's a, he's a great big rock star. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows who Frank Zappa is. And this is, uh, I would argue, perhaps the zenith of his fame. Uh, by the late 70s, he was very elder statesman-y. And he was having a very public feud with the record company and doing a lot of uh, TV spots and New York concerts. So uh, mm. the wave is very high right now. And I have been waiting for this episode and looking <laughs> forward to it because it's got such a reputation. So question for you. Yeah. Did this episode of Saturday Night Live get Frank Zappa banned from the show? Yeah, I, I don't know. Banned is just such a weird word. For what this show is, because by its very nature, you were asked to host one week, your agreement is for one week, and then you either get another agreement or you don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I know this is, uh, so Zappa's in town to do his, uh, to do a big Halloween show mm-hmm. around the time, which Don Pardo will be a part of. And I read, correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard the dress rehearsal was pretty straightforward and without incident. From what I've read, and I wasn't there, but other than not being overly funny, there was no issue with the dress. And that that sort of plays into one of the reasons as to why Zappa kind of goes a little rogue here on the show. Interesting. This is, as we know, Frank Zappa's second appearance on the show. He was the musical guest back in season two, episode 10. It was that Candace Bergen Christmas episode. For us, it's it's ranked in our top three. It's our second favorite episode thus far. Great episode. Um, the cast and crew enjoyed working with him, so they asked him back to host, um, this time playing double duty as host and musical guest. It is also kind of the Halloween episode. It's 10 days out from Halloween, but it is the last episode before Halloween. They don't dwell on that very much. But like you said, Matt, this is a memorable show for Zappa mugging, frequently referring to the cue cards, and and just plain old going into business for himself. Yeah, would you like to kind of hear what I've been able to deduce is the backstory of Frank Zappa's appearance? Of course, please. Bear in mind, there could have been dirty looks backstage or... You know, somebody ran over somebody's dog and we just don't know this. But what is publicly available is basically kind of a combination of three things that went on. First off, the oversimplified answer is the cast and crew were very much into a drug scene or a substance scene, I suppose. Zappa was not. And a lot of sources just say that's the reason things went askew. 
I'm sure Zappa spent half his career putting up with folks who were into the drug scene. And I'm sure the drug scene people spent a lot of time dealing with Zappa. So to, to simplify to that one thing just doesn't make sense to me. That would be overgeneralizing to suggest that. By this time, he is not. I mean, he's been dealing with hippies since the 60s. Yeah. And, you know, they come to the show. So while I would imagine that he would find the excessive presence of drugs obnoxious and certainly annoying i'm skeptical that it would cause any issues that like like big deal performance wise this is not a good match don novello who was writing at the time and we get to see tonight as father guido said uh zappa likes control and and doesn't always trust people that played a huge factor into how he approached coming to the show and how he acted during the show later bumped up by al franken uh, suggesting that he came across as bossy and was sort of ordering the writers to write specific things that he wanted. And uh, they were very much against it. And there's also some suggestion that maybe Zappa wanted to write all or part of the episode. And when he couldn't, he got a little miffed about it and unwillingly went along with what they had up until the end. That sounds a little more like the Zappa I know. Um, based on the little bits I do know. Sure sounds a lot closer to me. Frank has been uh, Frank has been in charge of his band forever. He is the guy. He answers to no one, and he never has mm-hmm. any of his endeavors. If he's doing movies, it's his movie. You know, the, the music is, of course, his music. The albums are his albums, and he has, you're right, he has complete control over everything yeah. he does except this yeah so for him to show up and be told to do things that he doesn't like or he doesn't think are funny that's that's not gonna it's not gonna go over the third uh, reason i've seen and it t- dovetails really in well with the second one is that zappa due to the high pace nature of the show um he felt uncomfortable and unprepared he felt the show was designed and this is sort of paraphrased from interviews with, with zappa himself He felt the show was designed to highlight the regulars and uh, that as a host, he wasn't particularly welcomed and he certainly wasn't prepared. Hated having to rely on things like cue cards, which we (laughs) we learned very quickly. So, yeah, just felt uncomfortable, unprepared and 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 due to that may have acted out perhaps or or did what he thought would have worked at the moment. There's no doubt that he was pissy. There's also no doubt that I find, you know, there's been how many times have we done this and we've asked, like, they didn't write anything for the host. Like, uh-huh. why, did, why didn't they do something more for the host? So he was probably feeling that, like, yeah. hey, I'm here. You're putting over your own uh, roster here. To, uh, you know, I'm the special guest. What's what's going on? You know, a super creative guy who is kind of a fish out of water, I think. And I think that's why we see what we see tonight. You know what I mean? I agree. So, okay, the flip side of this, I mean, this is sort of saying, you know, there's there's a lot of issues going on here. My thought is it seems like the dress rehearsal went okay um, as far as execution and not so okay as far as laughter. My, my thought is maybe dress went bad and he panicked. He decided tearing down the fourth wall will be funny. I've been on stage and I've seen it where one of two things can happen. A show is going really well and somebody says, well, I can get more laughs if I do this. 
and they really start mugging things up and they overdo it to the point that it it doesn't work anymore that could have been it the other part too is i've also seen shows and been in shows but I've, i'm thinking of two i saw in particular where the show wasn't going well and the actor is obviously distancing themselves from the show on stage terribly unprofessional thing to do 90 percent of the time the actor themselves winds up falling on their faces and i think that might be what happened with frank tonight it seems that way anyway, that he may have said, well, maybe I can get more laughs if I'm obviously reading cue cards. There's no way he thought any of this was funny. So he was distant from the cast and crew. Most sources say only John and Lorraine really bothered with him. Some of the writers openly despised him being there. Others gave him the cold shoulder. Others were just cordial. But this was not a friendship. Matt, you said this wasn't a good match, and uh, it seems like it's absolutely right. Based on what I know, and again, we didn't text, I wasn't there. I don't think Frank was probably watching a lot of TV. He's a busy boy. Further to that, you know, it's 1978. We don't possibly know as much about the man or who he is as we do now. So I think they were both, they were probably largely ignorant that they have this artistic control freak visiting them. And he was probably largely ignorant uh, of what was expected from the show. So shall we jump right into the show, my friend? We should. We go to a cold open. Uh, John Belushi is Fred Silverman, who is the new head of NBC since June 78. And he says that NBC is trying to freshen their image. So they did a survey to find out what people want. And all the data shows that everyone wants Frank Zappa. So they've signed Zappa to a long-term exclusive contract. And he's going to get his own sitcom, and he'll be unveiling a new look for NBC. Very short, cold open. Uh, remarkable only because as we go on, we'll hear the name Fred Silverman a few prominent times. thought Belushi was pretty good here. Um, not overly funny. Not much to remember. They're certainly putting over their host. Pretty much would mirror your thoughts. I did think Belushi was good as this uh, network guy. And uh, I thought to myself, yeah, you know, we have been kind of asking for change. I need to see the formula mixed up. It's time to mix up the formula. You know, splash some more colorful personalities uh, into the mix. This might have been a bad step in that, you know, maybe a (laughs) rocky first step here. Uh, But whatever, your heart's in the right place. And yeah, really, as you said, putting over the host big time. Mm -hmm. So uh, we go to the intro. I was still loving that new intro. Tonight, we're going to get to also see uh, Frankina Davis and Father Guido Sarducci. The monologue. So Zappa comes out and immediately refers to the cue cards. Goes right into the song Dancing Fool from the album Sheik Your Booty, which would be released in 1979. Song peaked at 44 on the U.S. billboards. And he brings a girl up on stage, and then the two of them walk off. I really enjoyed this song. It's critical of disco with a slight disco vibe. Tell me about Dancing Fool. It's uh, I like Disco Boy better as a song that's uh, mocking the same scene and the same people. It's a little sleazier, but whatever. Uh, Dancing Fool is fine. And Frank does that voice. Like that, that voice wasn't, I didn't think, him being particularly patronizing of the show or anything sometimes he just sounds like that uh, he and he often sounds like that on stage you know at least my initial impression here doing that cue card uh reveal bomb there uh, really didn't strike me as dramatic as i uh, thought it was going to be i don't know i just kind of shrugged it off it didn't really uh didn't really land with me the song is fine it was i thought it was a good upbeat way to start the show you know, like I said, he's hot at the time. This is a hot song. You know, Frank's from L.A. 
New York loves Frank Zappa. He did a lot of shows there and he did a lot of Halloweens there. This isn't my favorite Zappa song by a country mile, uh, not from Chic Your Booty or not from this period or anything. It's fine. You know, it's silly, topical at least. And knowing Zappa, that, you know, I, that, that lady was definitely not a plant. She was terrified. Yeah. Oh, no, that was no plant. Yeah. Shake your booty. What a great title. That was the first Zappa album I ever bought. We now go to the Coneds at home. So Beldar enters from work. Primat brings out some beer. Connie enters. She has a date. Beldar and Primat are concerned with how many dates she's having. Primat goes on to talk about how they both saved themselves for marriage. But Beldar reveals that he hadn't actually done so. Connie's date shows up. It's Frank Zappa. He's playing himself, and he's giving a concert that he's going to take Connie to. Dan invites Zappa to consume some mass quantities. Connie enters, and Beldar finds out that Frank makes uh, records, and he's very impressed and gives him permission to take Connie away. Primat and Beldar are impressed because they eat the records, and they like the taste of them. In this one, Zappa delivers his line really flatly, and he's messing around with the chips and the beer makes a point of reading the cue cards and then starts spitting out the beer and the chips. Dan stayed where he was supposed to. Beyond Zappa's mugging, um, for this one, which I thought was particularly bad, I thought this was a pretty flat Coneheads anyway. Not that it's uh, an excuse for Frank doing what he was doing. As with all Coneheads, there's some good lines in there, but uh, didn't work for me. Let's pretend he goes out there and he does it flawlessly and does everything that he's supposed to do or that it's Buck Henry out there doing it. I don't care. It's still the worst. Coneheads sketch we've seen uh, up to this point. I did think Lorraine was great as Connie in this one in particular. I thought Frank's clothes were really ridiculous. I don't know who dressed him. Yeah, that was a weird. He was in a trench coat and sunglasses, wasn't he? Yeah, super baggy and like just very weird. But I did like his shot at uh, his record company when he said, this is the latest unauthorized collection of my songs. When they held <laughs> up uh, Studio Tan. Which was, yeah, not an album he sanctioned the release of. That must be frustrating as hell. Yeah, he put, he gave Warner Brothers, he said, here's my next album. And they said, nope. And they cut it to pieces and they repackaged it into four separate albums. And they started to release it periodically. And the whole thing got real ugly. Next sketch is called Baxter Prison. Now, this is written by Brian McConaughey. So this starts on Belushi sitting behind bars playing a harmonica. It's revealed to be a prison under stairs in a home. Kind of reminded me of Harry Potter there in the cupboard under the stairs. Lorraine enters as a young lady who addresses her father, played by Bill. And Lorraine is carrying the dry cleaning. She opens a closet to put the dry cleaning away and she finds Garrett in there. He is a convicted heroin dealer who is denying his guilt. It becomes clear that uh, this family is letting out parts of their home to the prison system. Gilda enters. Um, and she's been busy doing the laundry for the convicts. Bill wants to house more prisoners in his home, but Gilda won't. Uh, the mail arrives, and Belushi has received a weld welding kit, but Gilda won't let him have it. Jane then enters as Marilyn, who wants to visit John a la prison visit. John says he likes it at this place more than the last place he was, which was another home. He tells Marilyn that he and Garrett are going to use lasagna to saw through their bars. We then find out that there's a third prisoner, an arsonist, that they keep upstairs in the guest room. He's causing a ruckus because he wants to get moved to a different room. As the family tries to resolve the issue, uh, Garrett and John get all worked up. Uh, Lorraine runs out of the house. And then Gilda, the mother, has had enough, and she decides to kick the three prisoners out of her house. And this is a weird sketch. I thought this was one of the best ideas for a sketch I've seen in a long, long time. 
but it got zero reaction from the audience. It was killing me because the cast, all the cast were stellar in this. The idea was good. Um, there was no thing like, like Zappa throwing timing off or anything like that, but it just wasn't getting a reaction from the audience because it just didn't have jokes in it, like individual jokes, brilliant idea, brilliant performance, but that X factor just wasn't there. Matt, I, I was watching this one. And as it came to the end, I was like, I, I got to know what Matt's going to think of this one, because my goodness, I was blown away by everything except the uh, the lack of like laugh lines, you know. What an interesting sketch. You're right, indeed. Because, OK, first of all, while I was watching it, uh, especially the first half of it, I was hating it. I was not enjoying it. The run. And one thing I noticed was the excruciatingly loud silence when Jane and uh, Belushi are talking it was probably the longest quiet moment we've seen on the show to date there that felt just like two minutes of them just talking quietly and it was so weird to watch and it was such a weird sketch uh so i was i found garrett he was being really loud and annoying and i think he's supposed to be but ooh. That, that's so not fun for me to watch. And then, you know, Belushi down there and Jane comes in and it just became, my notes here say, such a chaotic, loud sketch it turns into. And ultimately, it's just really depressing social commentary uh, done in this bizarre, loud, chaotic sketch. It's almost got a kids in the hall vibe where it's just weird and uncomfortable but it's not really funny and you don't know if you liked watching it but you do know that you watched it yeah you couldn't have said that better holy jumpins it did have a kids in the hall vibe when they used to do them short movies some of them wouldn't have the laugh track you know and you'd be watching going what the hell (laughs) i always remember the sausage factory that was what yeah yeah sausages yeah that's the one i always think of too it's the first one in my mind yeah weird thing i saw and i was like what the, what are they doing this yeah. reminded me of that i was like what are they doing this is obviously talking about the blight of american crime in the 70s crime is fucking through the roof and such a depressing topic that they didn't really make light of they were just yeah. like this is the way it is look how miserable we are it's like oh thanks guys great comedy television <laughs> but i was trying to figure out like was there a bill being passed where like nonviolent offenders could live with someone could you at one point have done this for parolees or something where the government will pay you to house them so they don't have to build their own facilities you know <laughs> yeah it's so it was so dystopian like we yeah but it was really like it was great great idea like it just didn't yeah. get the laughs i don't know like if this well, i don't know a- if i liked it yeah <laughs> <laughs> This could have been a Twilight Zone episode with very little tweaking, or or it could have been a uh, a counterculture play or something. What a great idea! Though. Most strange SNL so far. We are now off to weekend updates. So this leads in with a bit about Alan Ludden and Betty White as stone sculptures. This one is brought to us by Missionary Positions Incorporated. A little laugh at me. So some stories here. Betty Ford talks about her facelift. Ford, uh, she said she got the facelift to rejuvenate her look. Her husband, Gerald, also got one for the same reason, and it uh, looks exactly like Betty. Firestone is recycling tires to become condoms. Cornell is then uh, recalling a class of doctors who were accidentally trained as air conditioner repairmen. A bit about the Yankees winning the World Series. 
We then go to Bill Murray's Celebrity Corner. We have Lorraine as Sid Vicious's mom and Brian Doyle Murray playing Sid Vicious. And they're talking about Sid being on trial for killing Nancy. So Lorraine does all the talking here, and she talks about how unlucky Sid has always been with pets. And while Sid's on bail, he will be uh, appearing on the Andy Williams show and playing in clubs. Then we get Father Guido Sarducci talking about the new pope. Father Guido starts revealing the campaign buttons that were available in the Cardinal's conclave. So we have uh, Cardinal Felonio, who... uh, it was hard to get good buttons in Latin because there's no slang. There was then uh, Cardinals Benzolo and Russo were running as a team. They would have taken the names John Paul II, one and John Paul II, two. Another fellow named Barcelli, who was well-liked but looks too much like Joe Garagiola. A Cardinal Fungi, who is the oldest Cardinal, and he just had a button with a mushroom on it. Unfortunately for him, uh, Cardinals over 80 can't vote and don't get invited to the dinner dance. Father Guido then talks about the movies that the popes got to watch during the conclave, and they watched Greece four times. Then we have a point-counterpoint with Dan, who is back as the station manager, and uh, it's on Test Tube Babies. This is a weird weekend update for me. The jokes were okay. Few of them were good. Few of them were bad. It was the segments in this one. The Sid Vicious and Father Guido made this one of the best weekend updates I've seen yet on the show. Absolutely loved both of those segments for all, all for different reasons. And Point Counterpoint with Dan um, really worked for me tonight. It's definitely one of the best weekend updates we've seen in a long time. I, I didn't always love the jokes, but one thing I noticed out of the gate is just how sharp and on Jane is with her delivery. I have always liked her. I have always thought she was good at this. But even despite that, you can still see just how better she gets at it. Really enjoyed Bill letting that character drop to uh, a, a lot of degree and just kind of be quote unquote himself uh, a little more and not do the celebrity corner character like the whole time. Mm-hmm. So this is the brief window, I guess, where between Nancy being dead and Sid being alive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so interesting. Lorraine. So good as Miss Beverly. Uh, yeah. I couldn't tell who Sid was, uh, to be honest with you. I kept looking at him. They were talking about Sid's fate and I wrote that it is not going to go well. On the way out of Celebrity Corner, Bill says the thing, which is cool. You know, he, he keeps his little catchphrase, gets yeah. his little bit in. Uh, I did not like the the button gag though. Oh no! Uh, couldn't really see the buttons, and yeah. it was just it wasn't landing for me. Like I, I kept thinking, if this was on Conan O'Brien, he'd like put it on the desk, and you'd have that tight shot of the button. However, I don't like Father Guido nearly as much as you, anyway. I don't know uh, if anyone does, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fine, but it didn't like crack me or anything. Anyway, you're right. The segments were great. Point counterpoint, James. Jane came out swinging and it really caught me off guard, actually. Uh, I thought it was really funny. And, of course, we got to hear laboratory perfected ignorant sluts like yourself. (laughs) Terrific weekend update, I think. I really enjoyed it. We now go to a song. It's The Meek Shall Inherit Nothing. It was on, I guess he was on his live shows for a while, but didn't see a release till 1981. I really enjoyed this. I thought the lyrics were brilliant. Really kicking the uh, New Testament, the meek shall inherit the earth thing in in, in the butt there. I really enjoyed this, Matt. I want to hear more about this song. Oh, buddy. (laughs) This is like one of my least favorite Zappa songs. Damn it. (laughs) 
I don't like when he gets so preachy and, and it's almost like his attitude on the show tonight. It's always like, man, look at me. I know best. And, and, and you know, I know like the government sucks and organized religion is bilking Americans. And it's like, you know, it's been that way for a while. It's still that way. Musically, the song does nothing for me. I hate how it's almost like you hear that organ and it's almost a, a hymnal. And I get it. I get that it's, again, topical and on point and true. And it's just not what I want out of Frank Zappa personally. I like when he's a, the rock and roller. If Frank is not holding his guitar, I'm a little worried. Okay. In a couple of years, he's going to release a three-record set called Shut Up and Play Your Guitar, based mm. on what he heard yelled at him from a, a fan in the audience. It was me. I tried, time-traveled back. And Shut Up and Play Your Guitar, by the way, one of my favorite fucking Frank Zappa albums, unsurprisingly. Mm. I could listen to it over and over again. It's hypnotic. It's brilliant. I'm not a big guitar solo guy. It's not yeah. like I'm like that. So I'm not like, oh, well, I only listen to guitar solos and they have to be in this timestamp or like, <laughs> I don't know, talking about rhythm measures, like some sort of tool fan. I'm not like that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you once mention a guitar solo. Maybe we talked about Santana on the show, but that would have been it. You rarely mentioned guitar solos. But and I think what's important to for, for, you know this is this is something for Zappa personally and especially like Frank Zappa guitar solos are. <laughs> this is gonna sound like I'm really into guitar solos, but Frank's guitar solos are not like any other guitar solos, man. Mm, yeah. They're they're, just, they're a lot more melodic, and he has a uh, this knack. I mean, he's a brilliant musician. The 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 improvisational uh, melodies and playing. Ah, you know what? Just go listen to this record, y'all. You'll you'll hear what i mean it doesn't sound like snippets uh, yeah. of songs even though it is uh it's well worth a listen so we're now at the sketch that sealed zappa's fate as a um disastrous host it's called night on freak mountain it's post zappa concert and garrett is backstage um, and offers frank drugs frank says he doesn't do them and so garrett walks off bill and paul paul schaefer enter as jerry aldini and don Kirshner. we've seen both characters before but never together and they're telling zappa he could be huge if he will pair up with them um aldini and uh Kirshner tell frank not to drive because the weather's gotten very rainy so aldini offers him a drive in their uh, limousine but frank doesn't want to do that because he wants to try his his new tires his new radials i think he says we then get a fun bit with a toy car driving up a model mountain and the car stalls or gets washed out which means frank is stranded and a narrator says that frank is leaving the car and he goes to a castle at the top of freak mountain we then see dan Aykroyd and lorraine as returning characters jason and sunset it's their hippie characters and they've recurred since season one Zappa says he needs a phone, but they say he has no phone. Jason offers Frank a joint, but Frank won't take it. Sunset then makes him some uh, mushroom tea, and he still won't take it. Out comes John as windowpane Watson, a daily acid user. Frank is okay at the beginning of this sketch, but he then starts mugging quite a bit, reading cue cards. The whole bit on this sketch is, wow, Frank Zappa doesn't do drugs, and everyone else seems to. As things start to get awkward, both for Frank, the character, and the sketch, Kirshner and Aldini enter. They find Zappa there. Aldini then takes Frank out saying he's going to redo his makeup. 
Kirshner stays behind and does a whole list of thank yous and, and, and that sort of thing that Kirshner would do at the end of his shows and concerts. So this is the sketch where Frank really gets shit on for mugging and stuff. I actually didn't find this as bad as the Conehead sketch. Uh, he's still very much unengaged, um, but this is certainly not as rough as I had remembered. Windowpane Watson, that was such a great name. I had to look it up and see if there actually was a Windowpane Watson. The model and the changing sets were all good. Don Kirshner, I enjoy Jerry, Jerry Aldini's fun. But my issue here is that had he been engaged or even had he decided to help write it or maybe even uh, had been allowed to help write it, this really could have been a, a good platform for his anti-drug stance in a venue where it might have helped some people about uh, why he's uh, drug-free rather than just turn it into a, a shitty sketch that really should have been a lot funnier than it was. Not as bad at all. I was uh, again surprised. I mean, I definitely saw it, but I, I thought it was going to be this big to-do. Uh, so I'm with you on that. I thought Frank was pretty funny when he was just bearing the misery of Paul Schaefer, who I thought was really good in the sketch. Dan and Lorraine did their characters great, and I loved window pane. And I don't do drugs and I'm not into backpacking. <laughs> I, mean, I, I relate to half of that. Uh, Freak Mountain. Uh, so, do I, but, so do I, but it's the different half, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what what a mess. It just seemed like a chaotic mess. Like strikes me as the kind of thing he would think is really stupid. I don't know if the intention here was to make his anti-drug stance uh, a laughing point. Yeah, I think so. Because the way it was framed, everyone does drugs except you. Yes, that was very, and it's no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. Like, is that, that seemed to be all they gave them to do at some point. We are now off to woman to woman, and it's Gilda as Connie Carson, a career woman who hosts a talk show about career women who are talking about their careers. And she is joined by Jane Curtin as Mrs. Henry Post, a housewife. So Gilda asks Jane what it's like to be married, and Jane loves married life. And Gilda keeps trying to throw things in on Jane that will possibly inspire her or to open up about why she regrets being married, such as wasting money on a wedding dress she'd only wear once, writing thank you notes to wedding guests, uh, mother-in-law, dirty socks, doing laundry, raised toilet seats. None of these are issues for Jane as she finds uh, married life just so wonderful. I loved this sketch. I thought Gilda played the the condescending progressive who's really trying to bait someone who likes the traditional values of the world. I, and both women were really good here. I thought this was a really strong sketch. This almost comes across as, as as almost right of center because Gilda, the career woman, is is made out to be the the fool here, and and those two together, great chemistry as always. I enjoyed the sketch. Uh, Gilda's horrifying smile at the beginning was really great, <laughs> and I did find it quite horrifying. Yes, the sketch really built tension. Uh, yeah. I thought they, they were really when you know the the, the tit for tat and the, the passive aggressive jabs. Uh, I felt the escalating tension. So while I didn't particularly find it ha ha funny, it's one of those ones that I enjoyed watching. Nevertheless, we are now off to Franken and Davis. This is a bit about democracy and problems. And we have Franken as Pete Tagliani, an up and coming politician who is trying to unseat the incumbent senator, Winfield Adcock, played by Tom Davis. And what we're doing is we're jumping back and forth between their uh, their campaign platforms, which are basically just attacks on each other. 
So we get to hear that Davis withheld tax money, and we hear that uh, Tagliani controls porn houses and massage parlors and is in with the mob. We then hear that uh, Adcock is a serial adulterer, and we have photos of Adcock lying in bed with Tagliani's sister-in-law. Some very funny photos, actually. Adcock refutes this with photos of a bathroom where Tagliani is uh, using the bathroom and allegedly propositioning Adcock's nephew. Tagliani then has results of a lie detector test uh, indicating that uh, Adcock is an alcoholic. A drunk Adcock says that he has his problems, but Tagliani was once involved with some gangland slayings. Tagliani follows this up by shooting Adcock as they do with some of the uh, Franken and Davises. It's brought to you by the International Communist Party. And then, of course, Franken and Davis with their big smiles. Thank everyone and say goodnight. Uh, this was funny and it was smart. It was a bit ahead of its time. And it's, it's very much like how many campaigns are run today. It didn't hit it 100% for me for some reason. There was something missing, but I really enjoyed the back and forth. You know, it's 1978, and this is literally how, you know, at least half of the last two presidential <laughs> campaigns were. I thought this was definitely a high point of the show. There was something missing for me, too. I, I chalked it up to it being kind of long. Uh, I thought it just kind of kept going at some point. It could have been a little tighter, maybe. Uh, but I did like the back and forth smear campaign and how it did keep getting ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess to your exact point, it, it wasn't a home run for me by any means. I did like it, especially Franken's bits I, I found uh, enjoyable. Yeah, I, you know what? I was wondering if the intro killed it. Yeah, that it could be. It. That wasn't really super necessary. And some of them photos of Davis, I don't know if they'd be allowed on TV now. <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> I mean, he, he's he's naked with, like, face cloth or something. Covering, <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's a woman in bed with him. I loved how, like, the results of the lie detector test was a big file folder that said results. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, the, they're, they're a whole good. Yeah, the folder gags. I did write a note of that. I really like the uh, the folder gags. We then go to, is it Rolo or Rollo? I saw the Rolo. So Samurai Futaba joins Frank Zappa on stage as he did for the Bergen show and does a bit of uh, stuff with the band. They then play uh, Rolo. wasn't released publicly till 20 or 2006, I believe. This song I didn't like as much as the first two, which probably means Matt loves it. Um, it goes a few different ways for me, where at times it sounded brilliant, other times it sounded like a complete mess. On the grand scheme of the music guests we've heard over the years, this was pretty darn good. It was just my least favorite musical of the night. The addition of Belushi. I don't like the Samurai, but it is a callback to the last time he appeared. No harm, no foul, I guess, for me. I don't love this song, actually. It's one of those, uh, it's one of these pieces that he he almost writes with the, with the purpose of being complicated musically. There's no melody to it. It's almost like an exercise for the musicians, uh, which doesn't make it great listening mm-hmm. for the rest of us. Reminded me of uh, Sun Ra's song. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, a little, I found Sun obviously a little more far out, which is a little more up my alley. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frank can, Frank's music can sound so academic. So we're now at Mr. Bill Moves In, and this is, of course, Mr. Bill's sketch, uh, pre-taped video movie, whatever. Uh, Mr. Bill is now in New York, and he's looking forward to living in his new high-rise apartment. Mr. Hand comes in and introduces Mr. Bill to his interior decorator, which is Sluggo. In this one, Mr. Bill gets his leg ripped off to replace a leg on a chair. He gets vacuumed. Uh, Spot becomes a dogskin rug. And Mr. Bill is painted fuchsia and then gets washed in a washing machine. I'm not a fan of Mr. Bill. I know that's sacrilegious to some folks. 
But uh, I didn't mind this. It uh, it certainly wasn't the worst, and uh, and I did laugh a couple times. I, for some reason, the uh, table with missing a leg was the one that really cracked me up. Uh, this one I found, I, I, I was feeling empathy for Mr. Bill. I was like, oh, my God. Man, yeah. Mr. Hand and Sluggo, or, or, I, there was a, this one was especially cruel. <laughs> so I, I, uh, th- this was the most empathetic I've been with Mr. Bill. But, yeah, I still like them. These are always cute and fun for me. So uh, we now go to the good nights. We have Dan and Lorraine coming out in character. They try to give uh, Frank Zappa a joint that uh, Frank takes and stamps out. They all come out and shake his hand. He tries to bring up the girl from the audience. She says no, but then as we cut to the wide shot, she joins him on stage. Lorraine goes up and starts messing with scarves, I think, with him. Uh, Garrett's not too far off. Some folks have said it's painful to watch or it's awkward as hell and... It wasn't obvious to me that people were really pissed at Frank Zappa. I I didn't notice anything weird. I didn't really see it. It, Certainly, I I noticed it more at the Ruth Gordon episode than this one. So let's rate this show. Um, Host. Okay, as a host, he was terrible. He mugged. He sabotaged what he appeared in. And there's no excuse for that. If you're not happy with things, you sort them out earlier or you leave. Or if you're in the Lorne Michaels position, you sort them out earlier or you make a change. Frank was not funny. Whether he was trying to be funnier or trying to distance himself or trying to be uber artistic, it does not work, and he is the one that looks bad here. It's not as bad or as terribly noticeable as the lore lets on, but it's there enough to be detrimental to the show. I actually think, other than the novelty of this, Frank Zappa might be our worst host so far. Such a bad match. He wasn't whose fault is it i don't know whose fault it is i don't care but it's uh sure a bad match it's not fun for me the viewer uh to have obvious friction on screen you know so i i don't know we weren't there but i mean ultimately you know frank's gonna sign on to do the show like do you ever watch the show i always say that like yeah i i hate when i'm watching uh i like these reality competition shows like master chef let's say for example and i'm always shocked when it seems like somebody didn't watch the show before going <laughs> on the show it's yeah. like if i was going to be on a show i'd know everything about that show before i set under those lights i'd know what the fuck was going on you know maybe it was too cocky wasn't paying attention who the shit knows but, I mean, you should have known what you're getting into. And, you know, maybe it's they were being dicks, not playing ball or not listening to them or being like, fuck off, man, in the writer's room. You know, maybe he could have been more involved. Maybe he should have been more involved. I mean, how much worse could it have been? Mm-hmm. So the music, I thought the music was excellent. Uh, Rolo was not for me, but I really enjoyed the others. Uh, Dancing Fool and Meek, I thought were both really fun musically and lyrically. Uh, and I really, I, I know you don't like the preaching, but I like the message of both songs. I wrote here that Meek reminds me a little bit of like the spiritual precursor to Dennis Leary's asshole. But I really enjoyed uh, the music tonight. I, I wish, you know, it's like that. I remember the time I went to see Bruce Coburn at the Rebecca Cone. And I've always wanted to see Bruce Coburn. And I got there and I was so excited and I fucking hated the set list. Such a mixed feeling. It's like, oh my God, I finally get to see Bruce Coburn. Well, what is with this set list? And I know my Bruce Coburn. Dancing Fool, I get, you know, it's the song on the radio. The meek shall inherit nothing is not even going to be out till 1981. Put it away, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that's probably him being like, oh, look, I'm on a national TV audience. 
I'll be uh, I'll be Mr. Smartass here and d- d- take my opportunity to dunk on the church. Rolo, I mean that that could have been something else. I'm disappointed with the song selection severely. What was the worst sketch of the night, Matt? Kind of tough for me to say. I guess I would say it was uh, that uh, the 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 hippies and Paul Schaefer that whole long convoluted thing that never went. Yeah, Freak Mountain. Night on Freak Mountain. That was also my choice as well. I think we went over why it was terrible. <laughs> what was your favorite, Matt? Uh, weekend update. Solid. It's not usually something I would put in this uh, position, but uh, well-deserved. Loved it. Everybody was on their game. Uh, mm-hmm. Home run from Weekend Update tonight to me. Even though I don't like the priest as much as you do, uh, it's fine. It was yeah. fine. So I went with the woman-to-woman sketch. It was simple. It could have been done on... Uh, four foot block and uh, Gilda was fantastic. Jane was fantastic. A real strong sketch that brought things up. Who was your star of the night, Matt? Lorraine Newman. Yeah. I thought Lorraine was incredible in everything she was in. She was as Sid's uh, when she was in that Sid sketch, she was nailing it, knocking it out of the park. Uh, She was the best part of the conehead sketch and her hippie was great. Uh, She brought it on all fronts tonight. Easy pick for me. No question at all on this one. John was a distant second, but Lorraine was, yeah, fantastic. Uh, even the, playing the, the the daughter in the prison sketch. Really uh, a lot of different roles done tonight. Every one of them excellently done. Chameleon disappeared into everything. So overall, we've had hosts that could have been better but weren't. We've had hosts that should just not have been asked but were and then made the best of it. We've had a couple of hosts that we think might have even phoned it in. We've even got uh, one or two hosts that definitely were very high on uh, substances. And we've had at least one host that was in the middle of a serious mental illness. We have not yet had a host like Frank Zappa, who seems to have quit before the show started. He was having a shit time from Wednesday on. It's up to Lorne and company, the the suits, to step in and fix that. Now, this is a lot trickier if it was a knee-jerk thing where he just did it for the run. This one, I, I, I kind of wound up being hard on it because I think this is uh, not human error. I think this is some intentional sabotage, which I really don't like. I think this is also uh, an episode that really could have been better on a lot of fronts uh, away from Zappa himself. The writing across the board was pretty crummy. And to be honest, as far as laughs, this was a very bottom-heavy show. So I've given this one actually a 3 out of 10, which is ridiculously low for me. Savagely low. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's no denying your arguments. The uh the cold open was just kind of there. There was no monologue. We were running and dancing fool. I'm not a big fan of that. You know, I was gonna say you're right about Lauren, but I, I think I remember, I'm sure I remember reading that he was well behaved or better behaved at dress. Yeah. And yeah. that uh this just kind of came in a left field a little more. I don't know. It's difficult to say. Again, I wasn't there. Train wreck. The whole thing was a train wreck. Weekend update was awesome. I really hated the song selection. It was uncomfortable to watch too many times. Franken and Davis was too long. Very challenging. But, you know, and even at the same time, not as bad as I had always heard it was going to be. Uh, I I thought it was going to be worse, but it still wasn't pretty. And you're right. At the end of the night, it wasn't funny. Uh, So I'd go ahead and give it a four. So our uh, other results are pending. I will be talking to our third chair and I'll throw to that right now. 
Hello, it's Keith here, and Matt and I have made our selections, but our third chair for tonight, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Hello. I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for sitting in on this uh, Frank Zappa episode. We had uh, we had some last-minute scheduling wonkiness, Matt and I. Um, you were nice and patient and uh, willing to come in at a different time to chit-chat about this. Frank Zappa, were you a fan? Are you a fan? Will you ever be a fan after this show? <laughs> I like some of his music. But uh, this was this was an episode where I just I felt like he didn't want to be there. Uh, he even stated right at the beginning during the uh, the Dancing Fool song he was doing that, hey, I'm reading everything off cue cards. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. Put me in a happy mood until that part. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what to expect of him for this whole show. So a little bit of sabotage, a little bit of self-sabotage, perhaps. Uh, I don't quite know, but he was definitely out of his element. So um, tell me, uh, he, he was host and musical guest so how did he do um on the two fronts musical wise that's his strength he played to his strength his opening monologue essentially was a song and then we got that awkward he laid out how the show's gonna go and that's exactly how it went um but musically i i enjoyed it highly i really liked it a lot mm-hmm. um you know you, you can't deny that he was an accomplished you know singer songwriter he was very good at what he did uh, I did not enjoy him as a host. It just seemed like, uh, you know, I, I'm i above you people. I, I don't need to be here. What was your worst? Because we're not going through the whole thing here. You feel free to name whatever ones you hated and, and give us the uh, the most hated one. <laughs> oh, for me, it's Night on Freak Mountain. That is my most hated sketch of the night. It just any enjoyment that could have been gotten from that was clearly just thrown out entirely by how he just seemed so angry to be in that sketch. And that sketch... <laughs> really went in with the with the anti-drug attitude that he had i felt like if if he was a better you know better comedian or more open to that point of criticism that could have been a great sketch that could have worked really well for him when they were kept asking if he wanted something i felt like he was legitimately getting angry at them as he's you know feverishly reading those cue cards Mm -hmm. um mind you the high point of that was you know paul schaefer and don krishner coming in and and doing their parts which you know hilarious as those were just overall just not a great sketch that was matt and i's pick as well for exactly the reasons you said what was your best of the night now zappa was in this sketch but at the same time i'm never gonna say no to a conehead sketch i love the coneheads the coneheads are fantastic mm-hmm. uh and dan Aykroyd was not having any of his shit that entire no. sketch and he, he he fed off that frank zappa was breaking up as he was reading this cue card trying to eat all the food inside his mouth dan Aykroyd just went right into it it was perfect i mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that highly i thought it was probably my favorite sketch of the night for sure uh, update and woman to woman were the ones matt and i uh, highlighted so who's your star of the night my star of the night i'm probably yeah. going to say dan Aykroyd. Mostly because of, and this is going to be kind of mean, but every time he does um, point counterpoint and he always goes to Jane, you ignorant slut every time it kills me. It shouldn't, but it just Mm -hmm. does because he just delivers it. So like deadpan and like Kurt, just perfect. Yeah. Now we both pick Lorraine. I know for me, it was just she was all over this episode um, and, and quite good in all of it. So overall, Kevin, I'll give you my score and Matt's score. We didn't like it. I gave it a three out of 10. Matt, who is a diehard Frank Zappa fan, gave it a four. So where are you sitting at a 10 on this one? I'm probably closer to Matt, probably about a four. He wasn't in a lot of stuff, thankfully. And again, the musical uh, moments were, you know, they were enjoyable. They were fun because, you know, again, he's he's a very good musician. I'm not going to say that against him. But as a, you know, as a, as a comedian, um, not great. So with uh, my three 
Matt's four and Kevin's four. That averages this episode out at a 3.7, which is abysmally low for us. The folks at the Internet Movie Database gave it a 6.7. They uh, obviously didn't watch or are far more forgiving than the rest of us. Um, But this uh, ranks this episode pitifully low for us. I'm still processing that they gave it a six. They did not watch that same show or they have they're very forgiving people. That is not mm, like maybe maybe a a five if you want to be, you know. (laughs) Yeah. charitable but like nowhere is it is like six good god yeah i don't know this one has a 3.7 which oddly enough ties it with another episode you sat in on the uh, dick cavett rye cooter episode they're both now tied for the fourth worst episode to date on saturday night live for us but, uh, yeah thanks very much kevin and i'm just gonna toss it back over to matt and i Thank you, third chair. Matt, it looks like uh, you'll have to wait and hear the final results from this. We're pretty much in agreement on this whole thing, which I wasn't sure how it would go. I knew you wouldn't be an apologist for Frank, because that's not you. Fuck that. You never know what's going to tickle our respective funny bones. Yeah, that's true. But better days ahead. So, Matthew, do you know who our, our host and musical guests are with our next recording session? No, I forget. It is Steve Martin. Oh, yeah, I do know. <laughs> in his one appearance this year. <laughs> and Van Morrison. Oh, I hate Van Morrison. Do you? I wasn't sure. I I, I knew you wouldn't be a brown-eyed girl fan. No, I don't, well, you know what? I'll wait to see the performance, but I expect it to be drunky and yelly. <laughs> That's precisely what I like about Van Morrison. <laughs> well, Matt, we'll be back in about a week. But until then, we'll be spending a night on Freak Mountain here in S and Hell. <laughs> <laughs>